you know, one thing I usually mention when I'm doing parent-child dedications when they're present, and I didn't do it today, is the grandparents. Beth and David Moody are uh, the grandparents who are present here today. And so I'm uh, sorry about that. I was had so much going on, thinking about too much, and I didn't do it. All right, take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to do something this morning I don't normally do. And that is I'm going to reverse the order of, of this verse. Uh, there are two pieces of the armor in the verse, verse 17, and I usually take them in order, but today, it'll, it'll go away. Today I'm going to reverse that order and go to the last piece of armor and then come back and do the uh, next to the last one next week, all right, just to confuse things as much as I can. I'm not saying the Apostle Paul got them in the wrong order. Okay, I want you to understand that. Not trying to correct the scriptures or anything like that. Uh, this is the word of God, full, complete, sufficient, uh, infallible, inerrant, all of the, everything that I believe about it. But I, I do want us to do this because of the weekend. Our youth have been talking about the word of God. And our youth have been talking about the, the sufficiency of the word and the power of the word and the way the word will affect and change their lives. And so I want to I come to this last piece of the armor. If you're looking there at, uh, at old Theo, he is ready to show us that. He's got it strongly in his right uh, hand there, and that is the sword of the Spirit. We've looked at the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel peace, and the, uh, the shield of faith, and now we want to come and talk about the, the sword of the Spirit. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 10 of Romans chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This is getting to me. I guess I'm going to have to go to this. Be able to make it. Anyway, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. We saw that truth is the word of God. It's the, it's the objective written scriptures of God. Put on the belt of truth. Be committed to God's word as absolute truth. That's your belt. That gets you ready to be able to go into the battle. Without that commitment, you're not even ready to think about a battle, much less participate in it. Girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's not self-righteousness. That's not even imputed righteousness, although imputed righteousness is the basis of it. But that's practical righteousness. That's what God has placed in you by imputation becoming a reality or, or what the Puritans call practical righteousness, something that's visible, something that's seen. And that protects you against the, the fiery darts. That protects you against the hand-to-hand the -hand combat with the sword or the dagger. And it protects your feelings. It protects your emotions. Because that's what Paul saw as he looked at that Roman soldier as being the midsection was the, the seat of the emotions and the seat of the, the feelings. So it protects you there. Verse 15, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, 
you'll be able to stand firm with, with gospel shoes on when you understand the significance of and the importance of understanding and acknowledging that I now have peace with God. I once was at enmity with God. I once was uh, against him. I was his enemy. But now I have peace with God. And, and that peace with God gives me the peace of God. And, and it lets me stand firm in the battle like a Roman soldier would with his shoes on. In addition to all this, taking up the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And we talked about the, the size of the shield. It's more like a door, this, this shield that he uses here, the word he uses for shield. And it was given for maximum protection. Somebody gave me a picture this week, uh, or a, a little booklet about the, the armor of God. And, and I saw something I'd never seen before. And I've, I've done some more research on it, and, and it's, it's true that these soldiers carried these. And many times when the, when the arrows would get intense, they would go into a what they called a tortoise position of battle. And the ones in front would put their shields down to the front. The ones on the side would put their shields down on the side. And the ones who were in the middle of the thing would put their shields over their head. And basically it would make a, 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 a compound, a tortoise shell, if you will, within which they could be protected from those arrows that are flaming and are flying. And it just goes to say that not only is the shield important for you in your personal life, but the shield is a corporate responsibility of the body. When we all believe God and believe God's truth and believe God's word, we're able to take that shield and together to form that tortoise protection for the body. And so the shield is important not only individually, but also in the life of the church. And then verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now next week we'll look at the helmet of salvation. Today I want to talk to you about the sword of the Spirit. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's significant here the word that he uses for for sword. He used the word makara. It's not a broad sword. Next week we'll talk something about the broad sword in relation to the helmet of salvation. But but the the, the, the sword he's talking about here is makara. The makara sword is a, a, a precise weapon. It's a hand-to-hand -hand combat weapon. It can be anywhere from a six-inch dagger to a 19-inch sword that's worn in the soldier's belt and is there at all times. Many people will say this is the only part of the, the armor that's not a defensive uh, a piece of armor, but it's an offensive piece of armor. That's half true. It is an offensive piece, but it's also a defensive piece, and we'll see how that's the case in just a moment. But the Makara is an important weapon to have, and, and, and he, he wore it, the soldier always had it by his side, always had it in his belt. When he was in armor, the, sold, the, the, the sword was close by. So if Paul is looking at this Roman soldier, and he's saying there's the breastplate and the belt and all these other things, and there's his sword, and his sword is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. What in the world is this word of God that serves as our sword? That's the question we have to ask this morning. And, and many times we miss it. Have you ever heard someone hold up their Bible or grab their Bible and say, I'm ready to go, I've got my sword? You ever heard anybody say that? That was real big when I was in college. I realized I was in the dark ages. It's probably passed away by now. But back when I was in college, we were in Campus Crusade and, and other things. We'd always, we always made that statement. Yep, I'm ready. I've got my sword. Let's go do it. I want to tell you something. According to Paul, in talking about the armor, the sword of the Spirit, this is not your sword. 
Now, this is the this is the content of your sword. This is the, the, the this is the basis of your sword, but it's not your sword. Mary, this doesn't make a very good sword in and of itself. Just a, a book bound by leather or maybe hardback or whatever you've got. And many of you now, would, I guess you'd pick up your iPhone and say, I've got my sword, you know, because it's on my phone or it's on my iPad. Uh, I do that a lot with now. Don't have to carry multiple things around. I've got them all right there in one place. But this is not the sword. This is the logos of God. You know, it, it, the word is an important word in all of scripture. Going all the way back to creation, you know, God created by his word. Uh, John, in John 1.1, and we'll be getting into John in just a few weeks as we move into the Christmas season and start our study of the gospel of John. But in John 1.1, John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, the word that is used there for word that's a mouthful. The word, the Greek word that's used for word there is the word logos, the objective word of God, the living word of God in Christ, the written word of God in the scripture. The logos is important. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews uh, says, we looked at this months and months ago, uh, says that the word of God, the logos of God, is like a sword. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. He says, he uses this as a two-edged sword, and talks about the logos being that two-edged sword. But when Paul talks about the Roman soldier and the sword that's by his side, and, and that being the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he doesn't use the word logos. He doesn't say, uh, you know, uh, and be sure you put on the logos. But rather he uses a word that sometimes is misunderstood, sometimes is even misused. It's the word rhema. It's not the Logos of God, it's the Rhema of God. Now, now what is the difference in the, in the Logos and the Rhema? Well, the Logos is the totality of God's Word. It's everything that God has spoken. It's His absolute truth. It's, it's what makes up the belt, and we wear the belt in order to be able to stand firm. That's the Logos. But the Rhema, the sword of the Spirit, refers to specific statements of God. If you will, specific promises of God. Specific statements of, of protection for God. In other words, you, you know the biblical principles, you know the biblical truth, you know what God has said, not because you pick it up and now, now I'm going to read it a while, but because it has been internalized and has made a, been made a part of your life, then it starts becoming the rhema. Then it starts becoming the sword. The problem today in our culture, but also in our churches, is the problem of biblical illiteracy. I mean biblical illiteracy. I mean people will tell you, this is God's word. I believe it's God's word. I believe all of it. And if you say, well, leave the Bible closed and just tell me what the story is from beginning to end. Tell me what the meta narrative of scripture is from creation all the way to consummation. Tell me what the key points of the scripture are. Many of them will say, uh, well, God created and God's going to finish it. And that's about it. 
it, they miss the gospel altogether. They miss what God is doing now altogether. They miss the personalization of that word to be able to use it in times of great need altogether. Oh, this is God's word, and I'm going to open it every Sunday morning when I go to Sunday school and to church. This is God's word, and five or six days a week, it's going to sit on a shelf or lay on a coffee table or on my de- uh, bedside table and never be picked up. There is an illiteracy of this word that so many of our people will say, oh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a scholar. I'm, I'm not a theologian. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not where you are or where somebody who studied those sort of things are. So I'm just going to, it's just too tough for me. No, that, that means you don't have a sword if you look at it that way. You got a potential sword. You got a two-edged sharp knife here, but it's not ready to be used as a sword. There has to be the skillful, the skillful use of the sword if we're going to see it effective in our lives. Let me tell you what I mean. First of all, I said it. It's only half true that it's the offensive weapon because it has defensive capabilities also. Let's talk about those for a minute. What are the defensive capabilities of the, of the sword when rightly applied? You know, when, when Jesus, we, we looked last week, we were talking about uh, the shield of faith. We saw that faith is believing God rather than believing Satan. And when we sin, what do we do? We believe Satan rather than believing God. It's just that simple. When you fall into sin... When you disobey, you believe Satan's lie that this is what you really want, this is what you really need, and you go headlong into it when God is saying all along his word, no, that's not my plan for your life. And, and we go merrily on our way, believing Satan rather than believing God. We, and we, we said that the problem in the Garden of Eden was Eve believed Satan rather than believing God. Has God said that you can't eat any of this fruit? Well, no, God didn't say that. He just said that one tree in the middle of the garden. Oh, well, the reason God said that is because if you eat of that fruit, you're going to be like him. You're going to know good from evil. You're going to have all this knowledge and everything's going to be... So God didn't want you eating of it, not because you're going to die, but God didn't want you eating of it because you're going to be like him. Eve had a choice, had to make a decision. She had to decide, am I going to believe God or am I going to believe Satan? And she chose poorly. She chose wrong. Come along... Thousands of years later, Jesus on the face of the earth in the garden, uh, in, in the wilderness, rather. Uh, we looked at that last week, and we saw that each time that that Satan threw something at him, even when Satan would quote, quote scripture to him, Jesus chose to believe the truth of God rather than the truth, uh, the lies of Satan. Now, let me ask you something. Did you notice something about Jesus when, when Satan came along and said, you know, you, you're to, uh, you can turn those stones into bread and you can be made uh, uh, full right now, your, your needs be met. Did you notice Jesus didn't say, you know, I, I know the scripture says something about that. And, and just give me a minute, Satan. I know God has said something. Let me find that here. He didn't do that. Or go and throw yourself off of the pinnacle of the temple and, and God's angels will come down and swoop under you and set you down lightly and you won't be hurt at all. Jesus said, wait a minute, God said something about the word, the scripture said something about that. Let me find that. He didn't do that. You know why? Because he would have been defeated if he had to do that. And so will you. See, the, the rhema of God is God's word that has been 
internalized in our life. Now, I recognize for anybody says, yeah, but he was God himself in the flesh. So he knew his word perfectly. Of course he did. But I want you to understand that for us, the same principle applies. If God's word is, is not rema to us, if it's not internalized, if it's not built in there somewhat, so that it becomes our, we, we can use it defensively and learn how to apply the specifics of God's word in our temptations, we will fall. We will succumb. We will be hit by those fiery darts, those seducing temptations that will draw us astray and pull us astray. I, I had Brother Todd read the passage out of Psalm 119 uh, this morning for a reason. Because those principles that are in that, those verses, 9 through, what was it, 16? 9 through 16. Those principles there are principles that relate to you and me right now, very clearly, on when we're talking about the sword of the Spirit. Uh, verse 11 there, in Psalm 119, verse 11, David writes these words. He says, Your word have I treasured in my heart. If you have King James, it says, Your word have I, what? Hid in my heart. Yeah, your word have I hid in my heart. The word in the Hebrew that's used there is a word that goes more than just hiding something away. It's something that's hidden because it's valuable. It's hidden because it's a treasure. It's hidden because it's more important to me than just about anything else. Your word have I hidden in my heart. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. That I might not sin against you. Now, there's a fairly clear implication there, and maybe it's not so much implication as it is an explicit statement. God's word will protect you from sin when it is internalized and treasured and hidden in you. When it becomes a part of your thinking, a part of your life, a part of who you are, when you're so studied and so absorbed and so prayed over and so read and so studied the word in such a way that it's internalized so that when Satan comes along and says to you, you know, you really would enjoy this, you will immediately say, yes, but God has said that's not right. You know, it would be a real, that's, a, that's really would be a pleasurable relationship to get into. And they're game, and, and, and if you're just game, go do it. You'll like it. It'll be fun. It'll be exciting. Yeah, but God has said you shall not commit adultery. Boy, I sure would like to own that. I can't afford it, but if I could embezzle some money from my work, you know, if I could just, just a little bit, nobody would ever know how it always begins. But no, but God has said, thou shalt not steal. You see what I'm saying? Your word have I hid in my heart. This is the sword. This is the rhema. This is the word of God that is hidden within and internalized in such a way. I've treasured it and I've hidden it and I've done that for one purpose, that I might be able to stand against the, the fiery darts. I might be able to stand against the seducing temptations, that I might have a sword to fend off the enemy as he attacks. The first part of that, verse 9, makes it clear, asks the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? And I might add, that goes for a young woman, that goes for an old man, goes for an old woman, 
it goes for anybody. How shall we keep our way pure? How can we know the purity of God? One way, by keeping it according to your word. It's really kind of simple, isn't it? By keeping it according to your word. So when, when Paul says of the Roman sword, you know, take up the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, which is the rhema of God, he's not talking about just be sure you carry a Bible around anywhere you, everywhere you go, and that way when you have a temptation or you have a difficult time, you can say, wait a minute, Satan, let me, let me be for a few minutes. I'm going to go find that somewhere. You're dead before you even get started, if that's the case. But rather that the word is so built in our life, we have meditated on it. We have, we have, we have studied it in such a way that when, when Satan throws the seducing temptation at us, we don't have to go run look it up. We know what God's word says because we have internalized it within us. Is that clear? You understand what I'm saying? This is really important. So you can't say, I've got a sword just because you're holding a Bible in your hand. You can't say, I've got my sword, I'm ready to go out and fight the devil. No, unless that sword, unless that word, unless that logos has become rhema in your life, internalized and, and ready to apply at a second's notice, you don't have a sword. I don't have a sword. I am swordless in my armor. And, and really, that is the defensiveness of it. To be able to say when Satan wants you to believe him rather than believe God, rather than use the shield, you've got a sword there of truth where you can strike out, not just to fend off his arrows, but strike out at him to strike him down by God's word. It's the only thing that can fend him away. It's the only thing that can push him away. The second thing, it does have offensive capabilities. So I said, those who say that's the only piece of armor that is, is just offensive, they're half right. It is offense, defensive and offensive, but, but it has its offensive capabilities. One is just sharing the gospel. There is a sense in which the rhema is the gospel that has been internalized and become real in your life. There's a sense in which the gospel is, is in your life because you've trusted Christ, and you need to know what the gospel is. Uh, I haven't scored all the sheets. Uh, last Sunday night, I took a little survey and haven't scored all the sheets, but I'm anxious to see what our, uh, what, what our beliefs are from the group that was here on Sunday night anyway, uh, related to uh, so many things. You know, one, one being, what is the gospel? I didn't ask that question, but asked several questions that will indicate whether or not you understand the gospel or not. Question number one was, a person can be saved, or a person is saved by being good. Either disagree, uh, really disagree, or really agree, or all these other eight points in between of agreement, disagreement. I sure hope everybody was a one on that one, completely disagree. Because scripture's clear on that no one's saved by being good. Anybody you know that's good? Well, they're According to Jesus, that person doesn't exist, but I know what you mean by relative goodness in our life. But, it, but if you think you can say, listen, just be good. 
and everything will be all right. Uh, this morning, I, I rarely ever turn on the TV on Sunday morning, but I did this morning. I turned it on uh, one particular station, the only news station I ever watched just about. But I, I turned it on, and I, I saw uh, an interview there, and they were talking about the, the creator of VeggieTales was on. You remember VeggieTales? And uh, he was on there, and his statement was that the cartoons of today are, uh, and I, he used, I, this is going to really get me in trouble, he used Dora the Explorer as an example, uh, are, are really leading, our, are, are telling our kids that really there is no such thing as God or church or anything else, because they said, it's not that they're overtly atheistic, it's just that they are overtly, God doesn't exist. Church doesn't exist. You never see Dora going to church. Billy the Cucumber went to church. That wasn't his name, was it? Larry the Cucumber, excuse me. Uh, they came along long after my kids were older, so I, I, I didn't, um, don't know them personally. But, uh, but he had a good point. And, and the, the person who was interviewed said, but listen, all of these things teach good moral lessons, don't they? Most of the cartoons are a morality tale of sorts. And, and so they teach people to be good. And, and isn't there some value to that? And he said, well, and I could tell what he wanted to say. Yeah, there's some value to that. It, 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 the value is to make people think they can be good enough to please God if there is a God. Morality doesn't do anything. And that's the problem in many of our churches with biblical illiteracy. We think the Bible just says, be good and you'll be okay. Or I'm okay, you're okay. Or, or they always quote their favorite Bible verse. You know that favorite Bible verse of most Baptists? God helps those who help themselves. I had somebody last week, not a member of our church, not a member of our church, but I had somebody tell me last week, well, I just believe that God helps those who help themselves, just like the Bible says. And I said, really? Where? Actually, I handed my iPad with the Bible open on it. And I said, where? And he said, well, I, I'm, 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 I'm not sure, but I know it's there. It's there. Where? Well, I've been told all my life it's in the Bible. Well, you know what? It's not in the Bible. As a matter of fact, if the Bible says anything, it says God helps those who can't do squat for themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. It's his grace. It's his power. It's his might. But if we don't understand the Bible, if we don't have, if we don't have some semblance of biblical literacy and know the gospel, we'll be trapped just like the culture is. Sharing the gospel, teaching truth to others, proclaiming it, proclaiming the word. Not just preachers in pulpits, but lay people in their neighborhoods and among their friends proclaiming the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of God. That's the offensive capability of that. And finally, in its offensive nature, it's basically what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15. He said, but sanctify Christ in your hearts. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And listen to this, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. The offensive nature is sharing the gospel, teaching others the truth, and proclaiming it, but it involves being ready. 
being prepared, ready to make a defense by God's truth. And many times God's truth has to be that that's been internalized. Being ready to give a defense to anyone who asks. And so often when someone asks us, well, why are you a believer? Why do you, why do you believe in Jesus? Why, do you, why are you a Christian? Why do you go to church? Why well, just, just feels right. You know, I, Jesus, I asked him into my heart one day, and boom, he came in, and it just feels right. That's not a biblical phrase either, asking him into your heart, just in passing here. Typically, when someone asks us about that, we, do, we share nothing of Scripture. We, we don't use a sword. We, we use a water gun. You know, we use something that's totally, totally anemic. But God says, no, have the sword ready. Have the, have the rhema, have my word internalized in your life. Hide my word, treasure my word in your heart that you'll be ready to give an offense, that you'll not sin against me because it's a sin not to give an offense. That's a valid defense of the hope that's in you. Be ready. So if anybody asks, you can say, well, I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is God who took on flesh. That's a biggie. God became incarnate to live among us, but he didn't just live here. He just didn't do nice little moral teachings, and he didn't just do a lot of nice miracles, but he came and he lived a perfect life, perfect to the law of God, something I can't do, never could do, will never be able to do. But he did it. And in doing that, then he went to the cross, he who knew no sin, and died there in my place so that as I trust him, I who have no righteousness might become the righteousness of God, and he who knows no sin might become sin on my behalf. You see, it's the atonement. It's the sacrifice that he made because I couldn't do it. I couldn't be made right with God. And, and you bring in the truth of the gospel, that's the defense of the hope that is within you. It's not, I'm trying real hard, or I like my preacher, or I like my Sunday school teacher, I really like going there because I like the music. I mean, that's not a defense. That's nothing. It's what God has showed in his word to be the gospel truth, and you've so internalized it. You've so eaten on it. You, you've so devoured it. that it comes naturally. No, it comes supernaturally at the point of need, at the real point of need because you've meditated on the Logos and the Logos has become the Rhema. You know what meditation is? We, I've used this before, but it's a great illustration because some of you have farm animals, or at least you've been around them. Meditation is a word that is best described, best illustrated by a cow chewing its cud. You know about that? Cow eats grass, hay, 
swallows it, sits over here a while. A little later, he goes and chews on it again. It's real appetizing just before lunch. But that's what it is. He chews it, swallows it, brings it back up, chews on it some more. Our problem is we take the, the 365-day Bible reading and we say, oh, I've got to read all this, all this too. I've got to read fast. Got to, okay, said king, okay. Uh, so I came to Jerusalem, that's good. So I went out in the, by night, okay, that's good. And we just kind of fly over it. I would rather you spend one week in three verses than three weeks in two books of the Bible. Meditating. Chewing. Digesting. Because this is God's word to us. And God's word to us in the Logos needs to become God's word in us in the Rhema. So that we will have a sword to use when the battle comes. Have you got your sword? It's not this, but you got to base it on this. But it's this that has been internalized in your life. Young people, you've studied that all weekend. The Word of God is the only way to be able to stand firm when you're attacked by Satan. Mom and Dad, the Word of God is the only answer. The only answer when you're attacked to, to, to be unfaithful or to, uh, uh, to do something unethical that looks really good. You know, medieval art has hurt us. In picturing Satan running around, you know, red man, pointy tail, horns, pitchfork. You know the guy. He's on lie cans, or used to be. It's, it's appropriate. Lie is a lie. It's spelled differently there, but it's the same word, same idea. He's a liar. He doesn't look that way. He looks like, well, I'm not going to tell you what he looks like to me. But think of the most beautiful thing, the most desirous thing, the most pleasant thing you can think of that you ought not do or be involved in. That's what he looks like. He, he's not ugly. He's beautiful. He's not dumb. He's crafty. And he knows your chinks in the breastplate, and he knows your lack of a sword better than you do. Put on the full armor that you may be able to stand in that day against him. Let's pray. Father, we know that it's by your grace, it's by your gospel, it's by your truth that we stand. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit 
will draw us to your word. Draw us to the Logos as our food, as our nourishment. That we might be able to have a sword when the enemy attacks. Father, again, I pray for those here this morning that don't know you. I pray your Holy Spirit will move in their life right now. Pray for others, Lord, who are sitting where they are right now, will be standing in a moment, who just need to confess and repent that they're, the, the fact that they're walking around without a sword. And that's sinful. They need a sword. And that they will call out to you, Lord, draw me to your word and give me a sword to use. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we sang things like word of God speak. Lord, speak through your word. Speak, O oh Lord, to our hearts through your word, through our, to our minds through your word, and teach us your truth. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.